Hey you, welcome to Evolve, a show to help you become a hero and solve the world's greatest challenges. I'm your host, Brandon Stover, founder of Plato University, and I interview social innovators, entrepreneurs, and thinkers about the global problems we face and the solutions they have created to solve them. Today's challenge, higher education. Our guest today is actually me. I had the pleasure of being interviewed on the More In Common podcast by my friends Keith Richardson and Rodney Campbell. You may remember them from episode 66 on the Evolve podcast. These gents are thoughtful, funny, and have a great mission to anchor humanity in compassionate conversations. In this interview, I share how to listen to others and truly understand them, how I'm changing the higher education paradigm, and the dark challenges I faced that led me to finding my purpose. And as a bonus, you're going to get to hear how three podcasters use or fail to use their podcasting skills and conversations outside of podcasts. If you want to hear more interviews from these guys, please search the More In Common podcast on your podcast app. Now enjoy the interview. Welcome back to the More In Common podcast. I am your co-host, Keith, with my man, Rodney. Rodney, how are you doing today, brother? What's happening here at the Delicious Dish? We're going to be talking about apple fritters. You just pan sear that butter, get those apples and cinnamon going. I'm doing well. Doing really well here at the More Common Podcast, where we we anchor people in compassionate conversation. We care about compassion a lot. And in this conversation, you're actually going to, at the end, you're going to hear a explanation of compassion. That's really nice. It's it's about shared suffering. Compassion has a lot to do with suffering, the idea of pain, the idea of discomfort, and not the idea, so differing from empathy where you take on that pain of someone else, that emotional burden of someone else. There could be an element of that in compassion, but it's more about understanding it and being willing to sit with somebody through it and actively work to improve their situation and or your situation. So it was a, it's a really good definition coming up. Uh, we have a conversation with Brandon Stover about to go down. Keith, tell me about it. I mean, we're in this interesting time socially with people evaluating jobs, their lives, their careers coming out of COVID, what they want to do. And Brandon is starting his own online university with a very, very different twist to education and to how people can pursue their lives through learning they're the lives that they want through learning and not just go the traditional route and even the vision of it of where it will go with partnering with businesses and other things it's just it's a he's an awesome dude and his idea is really really clear and i really i'm gonna let the show talk about about the ideas but that's the cornerstone now why would someone actually listen to it though rodney brand is super thoughtful and i think if you are undergoing any kind of a transition or life transition challenge, or you would like to be going through a life transition, like leaving a job or starting a job or learning something new, this listening to him is, is going to be very helpful. Yeah. And so if you do like this conversation, as always, share it, give us a like, leave us a review, and check us out at moreincommonent.com, where you can learn more about the podcast and all our past guests and really what we're trying to do with this consulting business, where we're 
seeking to help organizations build a culture anchored on, you know, compassionate conversation and psychological safety using our four step more approach. So check us out. We're, we're open if you're interested in talking more. And with that, we'll go on to the show. I think at first, it's been a practice of validating those emotions in myself, realizing them in myself, because then I see where they come from. And they're often illogical things. You know, they're just, they're triggers that happen. And then seeing that, okay, if, if it's happening in me, it probably happens in other people. And say, you know, something that is going on at work with my wife, she's having some sort of issue there. I need to listen to her and validate the emotions that she's having, whether the problem seems irrational or it could quickly be solved, which I may think from my perspective, I'm a problem solver. I'm like, yeah, you just got to do this thing. Well, first I need to actually acknowledge that she's having these emotions and feelings about it. Today, we are with Brandon Stover. Brandon believes that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. His work strives to evolve the individual by liberating and educating others to have the belief, willpower, and skills to change their life and discover a fulfilling purpose to change the lives of others. As a founder, Brandon is launching a personalized online university that combines a student's passions with skill building to solve the world's greatest challenges. Constantly evolving himself through learning, he is obsessed obsessed with how he can deliver this power to others and scale its impact. As a podcaster, Brandon is also the host and producer of the Evolve podcast, a show about how social innovators and founders can change the world. From climate change to education to mental health, he mines the wisdom of visionaries and experts for the tools and tactics we can use to solve these global issues. He also created the Power 2 podcast, 90-day audio course, which create or which teaches podcasting in just 10 minutes a day and has over 75,000 downloads to date. Prior to these ventures, Brandon has a half a decade of experience as a designer, marketer, and educator. His portfolio and body of work can be found at brandonstover.com. Brandon, welcome to the show, my man. Glad to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Looking forward to well, this. We start every conversation talking about your tip to navigating difficult conversations. And yours is is common, but the way you answered it is unique. And it ties into one of our core more principles to creating psychological safety and in building compassion. And that is being open to listen more, which you know, your answer was listen, keep listening, and keep listening until you have a deep understanding. So what does that look like for you when, you know, maybe you feel like you've listened enough, but maybe you haven't? Yeah. You know, I think currently it's just my wife and I together. We don't have any children and I work from home most of the time. So the most interaction happens with her. And so when a difficult conversation comes up, I would most the time be with her. And what I try and do during those conversations is really hear what she's saying, trying to understand it from her side and not just her perspective, but, you know, the emotions that she's feeling with that perspective and where she's coming from with that perspective. So I often try and to 
listen, hear what she's saying. And then there's probably a voice or some perspective or opinion or judgment or a hundred other things coming up in my mind as she's talking. And I try and calm that or see why that's coming up in myself and then continue to listen to her before I, you know, blurt that out and then try and relay back to her, you know, what she had just spoke of both validating the emotion that she's having with that perspective. And then, yeah, trying to truly understand what it is that she said, what that perspective is. And if sometimes she corrects me, sometimes I didn't get it right, which is okay. Cause then, you know, I get the chance again to listen. And I think that has been something that has served me well for a long time. I am more often to be the person that listens and let, you know, the group speak and whatnot. And then I will just interject every once in a while after I've thought through my own thoughts before speaking. When you said try and calm that, those biases, those judgments, those criticisms, those, those, that voice in our head that wants to say, no, you're wrong. How is that an active effort for you in those difficult situations? Do you find it to be easy to calm it? Like, do you have any tricks to calming that voice? I find it decently easy. I, I guess if it's a difficult conversation about something that, you know, I definitely have an opposing view about, now it will come more quickly because, you know, you're getting information coming in. And your brain's saying, hey, this is opposing information of what you currently have in here. Uh, and you've, at least my first reaction may be to fight against that, like withhold, because that's part of your identity, that information that you have. You've made up your worldview that way. And so what I try and do first is recognize uh, the situation that I'm in, you know, the space that I'm in, bring to the present moment, and then acknowledge that that view or emotion is coming up and try and understand that why it's coming up uh, is it because you know i truly am opposing the the view and then why is that what kind of evidence do i have for that or is it because it's a trigger an emotional trigger from you know something of trauma from childhood or you know something that you know really riles me up and then acknowledging that emotion this isn't something that actually came easy to me until, I don't know, a few, probably three or four years ago. And it was really a way thinking about like creating a deeper connection with my wife that I needed to first acknowledge the emotions that I was having. Uh, because before that, I was much more closed off and wasn't even acknowledging those coming up in myself. Like, so one of the things you said was the emotional or like trying to hear what she's saying, but also and and seeing it from her point of view, but then also trying to understand the emotional aspect of where she's coming from. How do you, how's that going? Or like, how's it going? But like, how do you do it when you do it well, when you do it well? Yeah, I think at first it's been a practice of validating those emotions in myself, realizing them in myself. Because then I see where they come from and they're often illogical things, you know, they're just, they're triggers that happen. And then seeing that, okay, if, if it's happening in me, it probably happens in other people and say, you know, something that is going on at work with my wife, she's having some sort of issue there. 
I need to listen to her and validate the emotions that she's having, whether the problem seems irrational or it could quickly be solved, which I may think from my perspective, I'm a problem solver. I'm like, yeah, you just got to do this thing. Well, first I need to actually acknowledge that she's having these emotions and feelings about it because there's something in her experience that I guess, you know, thinking of the theme of your guys' podcast makes us more in common than actually different. You know, maybe in the situation that she's having and the problem she's having at work, I would do this certain thing. But if I was feeling the same emotions that she's feeling at that time, I may be reacting in the exact same way. So if I can acknowledge those, I better understand where she's coming from. There's something you said that this all hasn't come easy. And listening is one of those things that we throw around, oh, this person's a good listener or they're a good listener. And we, because maybe we aren't as good of a listener, we might attribute that person's good listening to a trait or a quality. When some people, yes, they're just naturally good listeners. Benjamin Mathis is a great example, but even he is an individual who's had to work at it, had to find it. What was that journey for you? What what has it been and what triggered you to be more of a, a, a better listener? Yeah, part of it is a trait for me. And I think this is a good you know topic of every trait that we have has both a positive and negative aspect to it. Being a good listener comes from me being an introvert, but that also comes from a lack of confidence growing up of like putting out my ideas or what I'm going to say. And so I would, as a default, end up listening. Now that doesn't actually mean that I was actively listening and hearing what other people were saying, but it was more of a lack of, I'm just not opening my mouth. What I had to work out was, yeah, becoming a better listener and and truly understanding what they're saying. And I think for me, it came in this love of solving problems and also finding out how other people think, how they work, how they are solving problems. It was one of the things that drove me to start my podcast. I just wanted to dig into people's minds. I want to figure out why do they see the world that way? Why are they thinking this way? What what are the the ways that they think that helps them to reach whatever success that they have? When I was working in architecture nine to five job was not enjoying my life at that time and i started listening to podcasts during then sort of as a way of like they have control of my body here but they don't have control of my mind i can put whatever i want into my mind at that time and so i had started listening to impact theory by tom billu and he talks a lot about who you met yes Yes, which was a great moment. Loved that. But it was a way for me to like start digging into these people's minds and like, okay, if I can start thinking in a way like this or understand how people think, you know, maybe then I can find a meaning, a purpose in my life, which I was not feeling at that time. So yeah, I hope that kind of answers your question. No, it does. And I think it's it's reflective of the fact that if we choose to be more productive at our listening, we, we can become a better listener. 
We don't, we don't have to default to whether or not we're good at it or not and just kind of fall on the sword and say, meh, oh, well, maybe, maybe a next time. It, it is very much an intentional skill that we can all get better at. And some of us have a faster starting place, right? Like with every skill, you know, some people are just faster. You know, you can get faster, but you're never going to be Usain Bolt. But you can still be faster, you know, so we all we all have those different skills. Curious for you guys how podcasting has helped you guys in the department of becoming a better listener. Was, since since you were staring off into the sun with the reflective oh, and pon- pontificating look, I had to. I'm defaulting to you first. So I'll say it hasn't hasn't like because there's podcast mode for me. So like when I'm in a podcast, like I'm a great listener, and then that also depletes some of my energy for listening on certain days. Plus, like people assume I'm a great listener because I'm a podcast because I do this, and so it's like I get credit for it even if I'm not doing it, and. So, but I think conversations like this, I think the biggest thing I've gotten is tips from people for what's worked for them that I can, that can just, they, they serve as point in time reminders because it's really easy to think for me that I, that I figured it out. I'm good. I got this. And then me and my wife have a fight and it's like, oh wait, crap, I wasn't listening or I didn't really get a perspective. So it's just like a good reset when we get to do it for me. Yeah. And I think for me, similar to you, Brandon, in my journey of, of just listening because of fear of putting myself out there and just hearing and then saying, I'm an introvert, so I'm just going to sit back and listen. And really what that came down to is I just didn't want to say what needed to be said or what, you know, thought, but that has also allowed me to hone my listening skills. The um, podcast has really enabled like early days. Let's backtrack to 150 episodes ago. Rodney used to introduce himself as a, as a monkey brain holding a plate of drugs in a bottle of alcohol because he would bounce all over the place, and this is referring we, to my monkey mind. Like, let's let's be right. super clear. That's here. what I said. Your monkey. I, mind. I just want to. I want to reiterate. <laughs> and because some people just tuned I, in when you said play to drugs and like, wait, what? What's this going to do with yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and so we didn't have a time limit on our recording and we were editing down to an hour and my responsibility in our in the podcast was to find the through line and maintain that for our listeners and so that really pushed me early to listen because at first I'd resist Rodney and then I had to just accept it because it it added value to the conversation and the space that we were creating. And if I was trying to put my thumb on the scale, it would over it would maybe influence the the ability to have a good, solid, and honest conversation. So the podcast has really forced it's it's created an opportunity for me to to like you said hear what is being said so I can ask a question for clarity, for deeper insight. Now, I 100% agree with Rodney and Brandon. I'm curious if you find this to be similar. 
podcasting is an amazing outlet, but it is podcast mode. So it's like, we're all on the same page. We all have the same set of expectations. We've established our boundaries. We know what we're in for. But in day-to-day life, those boundaries aren't established. The expectations aren't necessarily clear. And so it all gets muddled, especially at home, more at home than anywhere. Right. And it becomes a bigger challenge. So I'm actually working hard now to try to, to move the skill set and, and actively apply it. Like, okay, if I would do this on a podcast, let me do it here and, and, and go from there. But it's really, really hard. How about you? Like, have you seen something similar in your podcasting journey? Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things for me is when I'm in a, a conversation with someone else, I'm often trying to dig for those deeper insights. And that is whether it's in day-to-day life or on the podcast. And I, I that's the one skill set that I've seen that has transferred is that curiosity and still trying to f- figure out like, who is this person on a deeper level? I'm not one for small talk. I want to have a deeper conversation with people, which I love podcasts for because, you know, we can sit down for an hour and a half. We can go pretty deep. You know, the beginnings usually getting warm. And then by the middle, we're getting into some meaty stuff. And I wish I had more of those conversations in day-to-day life. I think podcasting allows a nice bubble or sanctuary, if you will, that allows that time and space. We know we're here dedicated to have a conversation. We have this time lot set aside. So we're going to have to go past small talk. Um, We're in a day-to-day conversation. It's real easy for people to just Here's a little bit of information I need to give you and then check out. So I would like to actually, yeah, take some of the skills maybe of podcasting in that space and be able to more create it um, authentically out in real everyday life. My sister-in-law said to me recently, she's like, one of the things she goes, you know, when I'm having a conversation with you, I feel like you're peering into my soul. Like at first we're having this conversation and you're asking good questions and it seems like you're interested. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, (laughs) where are we going with this? And they get, that's one of the things I like about the podcast is that we can do that without, without making anybody else uncomfortable because they're not necessarily used to deeper setting of, of, of questions and, and answering to those things. Yeah. a quick funny story. My wife and I, sometimes when we're having breakfast in the morning, I'll start asking pretty big questions of like, why does this happen? Or why is this this way? And I'll start going into something pretty deep. And she's like, you know, it's pretty early in the morning to to be thinking about all this stuff. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you're right. I'll reel it in for this moment. That's funny. Yeah. My, that is a, that's a learning I had with my wife. She's not a morning her brain does not kick in in the morning so i I can't go heavy and hard until afternoon i gotta i gotta hold it yeah my wife comes at me in the evening and that's when i'm turned off and it's like i i just not right now no i don't i don't i don't want to talk about that and then we end up talking about it so one of the things that you're interested in right now so thank you for indulging the conversation portion of the conversation but uh, that was a really good discussion and i appreciate it one of the things you're most interested in is is higher education and on your website which i love your your uh, domain evolve the dot world 
you share that you grew up in a trailer park with your mom, you're poor, and ultimately striving for the golden ticket of going to, going to college. Now you quote golden ticket, right? So I immediately have to ask, especially with your interest in higher education and your platform that you're building around giving people this opportunity to learn about their passions and the things that they're interested in and turn that. Why do you quote the golden ticket? Sure. Growing up poor and being pushed towards having a better life than we currently had or that my mom or dad had uh, growing up, getting a college education was always framed as the golden ticket, the quote unquote. This is the thing that will set you up for success in life. This will take you far, fulfill all your wildest dreams. And growing up, that that mentality really did push me. Not having like a father figure around on the day-to-day, having many of my family members ending up in uh, jail or prison or you know dying early on when I was young. And then growing up yeah, with a single mom, it was like all of these labels of this person is supposed to fail. And my mom had pushed me that actually you're, you're going to succeed. And so I pushed as hard as I could going all the way through my school career to get to college. I was able to successfully do that. Got a bachelor's, got a master's, graduated, had fulfilled you know, what my mom had wanted for me. And then went to go get my first job in the career that I had chosen, um, which was architecture. I worked in architecture for about three years and found myself very miserable, very depressed, realizing that the work that I was doing was not actually having the impact on the world that I wanted to make. I looked at architecture at the time because we spend so much time within buildings, within spaces. They're always a part of your life. And so I was trying to figure out like, well, how could I maybe design that world to better improve people's lives? When I got actually working, that wasn't what I was doing at all. I was drawing lines on a computer for buildings that, you know, were your strip malls and things like that. And I was like, okay, I'm not actually having the impact that I want to make. And there was a time my, I was working in a firm and I sat next to three of the head partners of the firm. And I could hear them picking up the phone day after day and the problems that they were having. And I could see the emotions and the faces that they were having. And I had a moment of like looking at myself and looking at them and I was like, okay, in 20, 30 years, you're going to be sitting in that seat. Is that exactly where you want to sit? And that answer was no. And so I had basically left architecture to find something for myself that would fulfill that original drive that I had to make, you know, the world a better place and was looking over my life and seeing that although education had brought me to this golden ticket era, it was still something that fundamentally transformed me and made my life better. And I wanted to be able to give that to other people, but I knew that it couldn't just be what society was going to tell you, you should go learn what your parents tell you, you should go learn, you know, what, you know, the best jobs are out there. It has to be something that you are truly passionate about. Otherwise, I mean, what's the point? 
No, that's so, and it's funny because, you know, we talk a lot about assumptions and when I read that, I'm thinking, well, I accrued a bunch of student debt. I didn't make a bunch of money coming out of college. So this golden ticket really wasn't a golden ticket in any way, but that's not what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is the golden ticket. It may be fruitful financially, but it may be depleting personally or emotionally and thus isn't really, it's, it's more like a, a rusty ticket, right? Like it gets me into the theater, but I don't want to watch this movie. And here I am stuck. So, but how did you, so how did you become so aligned with your, the impact you want to make? Cause I, cause I think that sounds like a thing that allowed you to step away and, and to even ask yourself a question, like, do I want to sit in that seat in 20 or 30 years? Because I look at myself and when I started in, in corporate world, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want that. I wanted nothing to do with it, but it's what I was told I should want. And I bought it. So it, as far as I knew, it was mine. Asking questions like that have come much later so that, yeah. So how, how do you, how did you become so aligned to your impact? or the impact you, you wish to have. Part of it, somebody that spends, enjoys spending time alone, thinking to myself, you know, grew up as an only child. And so I spent a lot of time alone. And so there has always been that open door conversation to myself. The other thing that happened growing up, I had s seen my dad try and take his life when I was younger, reaching a you know, very depressive point. Growing up, my mom as a single mom, it was also very much of a struggle, seeing her many times become very depressive. And so when I reached that stage, when I was working, I mean, there was a few times like driving home from the office and I was crying in the car. I was like, this, this is terrible. I knew that if I didn't find something now that when I'm driving home that I'm not elated about doing, and I'm not talking about, you know, happiness of, you know, always being happy or chasing happiness, but more of a, a fulfillment. If I'm not feeling that fulfillment, there's a, there's a chance that I could end up in the same depression uh, spot that, you know, my parents were when I was younger and I didn't want that. Uh, I started sort of down a path of looking into entrepreneurship and like self-development. One of the first books I read was Tim Ferriss's four hour work week because I was working at a job that I hated. And I was like, yeah, four hours a week sounds great. I was reading that and it just kind of started like spiraling into a bunch of other books. And I started like Googling lists of, you know, what's the best entrepreneurship or self-development books. And you get the regular list of like Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people or how to win influence and influence people. I um, just started reading through those, but eventually bringing up the book that I had mentioned before, a Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, I had read that. And one of the things that stood out to me in that book was when they're in the concentration camp and he's looking at his you know, fellow prisoners that are there with him, he can see the hope leave their eyes, the light leave their eyes. And he can guess you know, within the next two to three days that they're done. They, they have checked out and that they die there in the prison camp because they lost hope, they lost meaning. 
And I reflected at that in my own life. I was like, okay, if I keep down this path and I keep losing meaning and I just chug through this, is that what happens to me? Do I just check out? And so I, I had to start turning that around. I, I basically went trying to figure out yeah, what is meaningful to me, what would give me purpose in life, what would help me wake up every morning enjoying to do this. One of the things my mom used to say when we were younger, she would get so burnt out, like going to work, she worked 40, 50 hours a week. And she would jokingly, but also with like a tear in her eye, basically say, will you go for work uh, to work for me tomorrow? <laughs> no, I can't do that for you. And it was a joke, but it was also like painful at the time because it was like, you are providing for me. You know, you're going to work every day to provide for me so that I can get this golden ticket, but you hate doing it or it's burning you out. It's terrible. Well, thank you for sharing all of that as well. And I, I'll add context. I'm curious to know what role fear plays in your decisions, your intentionality, the all of these things that you've you've taken. And I see Rodney's head shake, so we can say it's a twin brain moment. I guess fear comes up sort of in in different ways, in different thoughts. You know, one is originally was it is this the right thing? Because I did try a dozen different other things as an entrepreneur does. Like, oh maybe maybe it's this thing. And, you know, doing like little e commerce websites, doing marketing and like sales funnel builds for people, do freelancing, doing design, trying to use some of the skills that I had spent uh, quite a bit of money on an education for and finding that, yeah, those weren't the right things. And so I was like, okay, well now there's fear about, was it a good idea to, you know, quit? Was it, am I going to actually succeed at any of this? That has subsided. The more that I found what purpose I wanted to have and focusing on this mission of education because I believe in it so much and that kind of subsides, but now it's more, of getting the idea out there. Yeah, I, because it is part of like tied so much to my identity, the story that I have told myself about what's gone on. So not only am I putting this idea out there, which actually isn't so hard for me, but it's putting that identity piece out there as well. So like in your story, there's a there's this interesting trail and I may be missing some points. So certainly correct me if I'm wrong. Many of us kind of fall into one of two buckets when it comes to fear. It's, it's fear of not having or failing or breaking or making the wrong decision. So we stay that safe course, right? Which I can say was a big contributor to me not taking risks early. It's, well, I know this will work, right? Even though I, I really don't know it's going to work, and yet you put that intentionality because the core of who you are will embrace it and go. And, you know, all of a sudden you're just afraid to, to not achieve, pay off your loans and do all of those things. But then there's that other side. And I think about this from like a health and fitness standpoint. My one half of my family is extremely heavy, right? And I have watched that over my lifetime and it has been a pure motivator 
for me to exercise. Now, I'm not always exercising, but it's always in the back of my mind that I will not be that when I'm 60, 70, 80. And I, and I hear that in your story. And I find that to be such an interesting motivator in so many people that do pursue their passion or the thing that they love because it's like, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to, it's like hitting rock bottom is such a trigger to, for people to, to move forward. It's because I I never want to be there again. And I hear that in your story with, with your mom and, and wonder how much does that fear of, of being in that space drive you to not make that like it just overrides any fear of like making the wrong decision yeah i would definitely say that starting off that was a huge driver that fear of ending up in that place or going back to that that way of life the more that i get into this the other side of it that the more positive aspect of driving of making an impact helping other people change their lives and i don't mean that as a cliche thing i mean Every step that I take, you know, as you do a startup or as you're an entrepreneur, you often do an MVP or a small batch of something. You work with just a few people. I've started doing that with a few of the the educational things that I've done in the past, but also running a small beta right now in the startup that I'll launch. And seeing the impact that this actually makes in another person's life is amazing. That's such a great feeling. And to be able to move towards that more now than the running away of going, you know, from that place uh, is wonderful. I don't, I try and not label either one as better than the other and try and use them both as energy. You know, there's days that you get up and it's like, you know what, maybe a little of the negative fear energy is going to help and push me today. Other days it's like, yeah, let's look at the light. Let's see where we're going. More positive aspects. So I try and use both of them. I absolutely love that. I'm, I'm curious in the, educate like as you build out this platform people see this right like and i'm thinking about this from my own perspective if i had found it 20 years ago like yes this sounds great but how do you help people see the light through this thing that they might not actually see a path forward because it goes against their traditional understanding of what will work and thus stemming that fear. So this becomes beneficial for them. Yeah. One of the the big problems with education that I've seen going through it myself is like you get there and you have to pick a degree and you pick that degree out of a hundred different things. Maybe your parents told you that was a good job to get. Maybe you're like, oh, this will make me the most money. That's the, the best school at this college at the current time. I'm going to meet a bunch of cute girls here. I'm going to, it's going to be great for partying. All this stuff that really isn't going to help you as you move down later through life. And so one of the things that I'm starting with is going through a discovery, a coaching um, with those people so that we can start to unravel some of those layers that aren't necessarily you and get to those real things that you care about. Some of the passions that you have, some of the skills that you are really good at. And then on my own journey to look for purpose, I realized that it's not just about me. You know, I live in this world, I live in this society. And if I can combine, you know, what I have a passion for or something that I find important 
with an actual need that's happening in the world, A, that lifts me up, lifts those other people up. And oftentimes you get rewarded for that if we look at those because, you know, money and those other things, they're still motivators. We still need them. Yeah. You, then you have a business, right? Like you, if you have a... Yeah, exactly. So helping these people to identify, okay, what are the things that you actually care about? Not what everybody else has told you you should care about. And then how do we combine that with stuff that the world actually needs? And I think that's a good formula for success. Some would say it is the formula. Can you tell us a little bit more? Like I, I'm still curious where you are with this project. And you, you kind of gave us a little bit about how you're seeing some success in, the, in beta, not beta. You say beta or alpha? Beta? Well, well, it's technically an alpha, yes. I just use beta alpha. more often. Most people don't know what an alpha is. So. It's more colloquial. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's more commonly understood. We're in beta, yeah. bro. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're seeing some success. So I'd be curious to learn a little bit more about it. And then as you're talking about it, like how that, where, where you pull the meaning out of it for your life and how it, how purpose fits in there for you like because i think this is a really you seem to have you have a very clear understanding of it for yourself and i think hearing somebody talk about it could be helpful i mean for me frankly but for others as well yeah um so right now yeah currently running the alpha and um it originally started with three students and uh was doing a three-month basically program with it just as a test run to see how do some of these things that I've been studying in the science of learning and education work? And then could we actually get the outcomes that we set forward between me and the student? You know, what were their goals coming in? Could we reach those towards the end going through this sort of process? And so we started with three students and we're down to one. Um, just things happened. Health went bad on one of the students and um, one of them was not able to go through the full program, which is an interesting story of like, is that enough uh, people to figure this out? Is it enough for me to validate it, um, to go forward with a full solution of this? But I've been working with him. He is a freelance UX designer, and he's building a community around designers that focus on not just the design principles, but also the mental health side of designers. And so that kind of brings in, you know, what he's very passionate and focused on his skill sets, but also a change that he wants to make in the world, bringing better mental health to these people because he had, you know, his own journey of mental health working as a designer. And so uh, I've been working with him and basically the way it works is we figure out that goal, what it is that you want to, to do to study and then build the curriculum from that. So figuring out what skills that he already has that would help to reach that mission and which ones does he not have. And from the ones that he doesn't have, then I go out, I go find resources, learning from those because I believe some of the best education has already been put out on the internet. It is a wide place, whether it's through actual professors or whether through people that have done freelance courses or even YouTube or a podcast. We can find these things. So going, finding those resources for him, having him learn the, them, and then helping him to apply those learnings and those skills. And then we evaluate, okay, 
you set out at the beginning to build this community um, to help change, you know, a designer's mental health. Are you actually reaching that solution? If you're not, okay, then readjust. Let's find those some skills to help you to do that. If you are, well, isn't that great that we found the resources to do that? We didn't have to go to college, go through a four-year degree for you to start figuring out, are you actually solving that problem yet? Wow. Now, what is uh, two planes? I'm going to go like, one first. It's like just-in-time education. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one more element of that is this isn't about the amount of time of button seat hours, but more of, you, did you actually learn this? Did you master this skill, this ability, and this knowledge? So that's what we're, we're testing for, if, you know, we're testing anything. In the full version of this, there isn't a time limit that just takes them as long as it does to learn those skills. And then they're submitting portfolio projects, they're working on real solutions, and that's how they're evaluated, whether they're actually gaining this knowledge or not. Wouldn't that be, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. That's, yes, time on task helps with anything. However, the time that I need versus the time that you need versus the time that Keith needs is going to vary for all kinds of different reasons. Yet the system that we currently have says we all need the same amount of time. And it does attempt to evaluate, but you know, meh. So that's, that's pretty cool. There's this, um, I think this is such a fascinating concept and I I'm curious to get an idea of how you envision working through people and what the future looks like. So I'll take an example. Someone comes in like yourself or myself who has a traditional mindset, like going down the traditional path isn't just about earning money. It's also gaining perceived security, right? And by perceived, you know, the things are only as secure as they are, but at least it gives us that feeling that, okay, I'm good for the next 30 years. I've started my 401k. I've got everything set up. And in the entrepreneurship thing, and this is something that I haven't reached that point personally yet, but know it's coming. And I think about it a lot. You hear people who's like, yeah, like I loved that idea. We took it as far as we could take it. And then, you know, we moved on or we did something new or we bucks the trend of that security long-term mindset. And I'd say a lot of people aren't necessarily prepared for it, right? They're, that is not something that either they can make the decision around or that it's all of a sudden it's like, oh, Brandon told me this would be great and I loved it, but now I don't love it anymore. It's work and it's this. Like, do you have a path, a plan, a vision to help people with that? Have you thought about it? I'm curious to get your take. Yes. So obviously I reached that in my own journey. Uh, you know, here's a traditional path and I went through it and this didn't work out. And now what the hell do I do? So I think actually super quick before you answer, I think this is important. I don't, I don't normally ask this question, but how old are you? I'm 27. Okay. I think that's super important because you've gone through what some people go through in an entire life. Like they get to a point really late and then they're like, ah, I'm going to do something different now. And they're like, Six. Yeah. Seven. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to add that context. So keep going. Yeah. And, and I think that's an important point 
yes, I've done that. But I also feel like in my generation of millennials and even in Gen Z, it's happening a lot faster. We, you know, if we just look at it from a career spec perspective, we're changing careers constantly. I went to school for architecture and now I do podcasting. I'm building in higher education. I've done marketing. I've done a million different things because none of them, one, are like the set career. that I, I don't think that exists much anymore. But getting back to your question, Keith, when they go through this educational experience, I don't expect them to follow this one thing forever. They're like, okay, yes, this is my purpose. This is my passion. I'm going to do this forever. Maybe that happens. And if that does, that's fantastic. But also other things come up in life, um, whether you are just changing phases of your life, maybe you have kids, you move, you are changing careers. The environment changes, the you know, job market, uh, we have things like COVID happen, or yeah, you just reach a new perspective of you. You're always changing. And that's where I believe education is something that's not done one and done, but continuous, keeps on going. Um, I know for myself, I am continuously always reading. I'm taking different courses. Currently, right now, I'm doing Coursera's like a Google UX design course, but also listening to podcasts like constantly, always learning myself. And I think that as people reach these different stages in life, they're going to be like, okay, let's reevaluate. Maybe this is the actual purpose that I have now. What skills, looking back now at a hard level, what skills do I have that could help me to fulfill that purpose? And which ones do I need to all of a sudden change out or reskill things have updated? And so they could come back, basically lock back into this process and not have to take all the old stuff. You know, you're not going through another four-year college degree because you've already done that once. So now maybe you only need to skill up with a couple different skills. And so you do two or three months of this and then go back out and try and fulfill your purpose. Looking at that mission, what's my mission? Are these skills going to help me to solve that? And keep going through that process through your entire life. You know, I don't know that your solution has to account for that person who doesn't think that it's valid to move in the way that you move. Because generationally, like my parents and their parents, they, aside from other things, like they could probably have one job for all of or most of their life and actually be financially set. For Keith and I, probably, maybe, like there's, there's, who knows, like for where we are in the millennial-ish-esque, not really even having a generation. But then for millennials and, and Xers, they've gone through seeing their siblings or themselves, or you may have, well, you didn't experience this yourself, but you probably saw friends that couldn't get a job after going to college. And I was like, wait a second, like th this was supposed to be the thing that solves it. Or they get there like you and it doesn't solve it. It's like, I hate this. I'm miserable. Why would I waste my life doing a thing that I hate? Or it doesn't align with my mission and my purpose. I think that's a better way to say the thing I hate. And so, you know, I think a lot of people, I've done it. I don't do it anymore, but I, I've done it. And I've seen people in my class look out and say, oh, like they're so they have no focus. They have no attention. I like, know they have supreme focus on themselves, on, on being intentional on, uh, on a mission. And that may look different today and tomorrow because yet yeah, Google UX today and it's coding tomorrow and it's 
marketing and social influencing here, but it's a skill set that skill sets that prepare you for this world, which by the way, AI jumping up all over the place, McDonald's may, may not need people <laughs> much longer. Pizza Hut is already automating making pizza. So it's like I gotta find ways to be viable at the at the drop of a hat. So I think it's um, I think what you're what you're like you're you're like formalizing the informal education and saying like and and even challenging at least this is my perception even challenging like what is education is it you know are we talking about applied knowledge are we talking about knowledge for knowledge's sake like what is it that we're trying to get here and why yeah this also brings up a, a question of like when employers are looking at the degree what is this signaling is it signaling that they actually know these skills and that they can apply them in my business or in my corporation or does it signal that they could sit for four years listen to something and have enough discipline to get through that which is also a good skill set don't get me wrong but it feels like that that's the only one they're measuring what we're trying to do here is look at like businesses your life and things in society something that they all have in common is they're going to have problems that consistently come up and you're going to need to figure out how to solve those. It's going to take skills, you actually being able to do something to be able to solve those problems. Where you learn those skills, I don't think is as important as you being able to apply those skills to solve the problem. Whether I learned them sitting in a classroom from a professor or I learned it on a job or I learned it from my mom, it really doesn't matter because I can apply those skills, I can solve the problem, and we move forward as a society. How, just on that, really, how ironic is it that Apple and Microsoft, on their resumes, require a college degree when the people that founded them <laughs> yeah. said that actually is not Didn't helpful for, for making this thing that has been transformative to the world? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, how far have we come from our roots? It really yeah. speaks to the the nature of living, living in or too. living for, right? Like we live in this thing that is given to us, or we live for it. And by living for it, you're you're solving. Like that is the absolute basis of contribution to society, right? Is coming up with a solution to a problem that serves a hundred people or a billion people, right? And isn't isn't that ultimately what we want when we say, man, people don't want to work? It's like, well, what are they working for? They're working to contribute to the economy? Cool. But or are they working to help solve a problem? And I mean, I think this is fantastic. And I'm very curious because I hear like today, with COVID, and you mentioned it, in this shift in perspective that restaurant workers have for their jobs and, you know, how they go to work and where they go and really taking this opportunity to evaluate that, that they're a great solution here um, um, as you build it. What's the scale a measure in the vision look like for you? What scale would I like to reach with this education? Like how many people? No, how, how are you envisioning scaling it i mean uh, right now alpha is you right working on this right and that that certainly right. won't won't scale yes so it will be uh, an online university so that takes the first barrier of scale out and then working on a platform that houses these resources that we pull from 
the web, you know, open education resources and bringing that at an affordable price because we don't have a campus because we aren't hiring a ton of faculty or, you know, tenured professors. What we're doing is having coaches and learning instructors, people that have studied through the science of learning, but aren't necessarily, you know, done a full PhD that brings costs down. And so what I'm hoping to do, uh, and I've seen this with a few other universities is offer a monthly tuition rather than a huge uh, upfront cost. So something closer to $120 a month, because again, we're not measuring uh, button seat hours. We're measuring, you know, when do you actually learn these skills? When can you apply them? When are you solving problems? That may take a month. That may take two years to learn these skills. We want to be able for you to vary in that. We also want you to be able to take a pause when you need to. Life happens. You know, you're going to have kids. You need to, you're working a full-time job, whatever. I don't want to hold you back from being able to complete your education because those things come up. So trying to make it more accessible, scalable that way. Then it will be focusing on trying to integrate this in other cities. You know, we're starting, we'll start within the U.S., but scaling it to other countries and trying to get in those communities by having uh, like learning hubs using existing buildings where people can meet actually uh, in community. And in the beginning, this will be all online, but I do foresee as something in the future of still having a physical aspect. You know, when I went to college, there are still things from tradition, from the traditional route that are very, very helpful. I grew as a person a lot from my in-person interactions at college. So that is still something that is a downside of online education now, but uh, with this integration, I think will help in the future. You can't do a keg stand online. <laughs> no, you can't. Right. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You can't live on your own and with roommates so, and do all those independent things that that you learned and to do pay bills and yeah. yeah. So Keith kind of started to bring up kind of this paradigm shift that's happened where you you brought it up earlier and then Keith just brought it up again. Kind of paradigm shift that's happening. It's been happening for a long time. And COVID, I think, just if it, it either forced and or allowed. I, I think it depends on the person. To, I, I to, think it sped up what was already going to happen. Yeah, I, I would completely. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. And so now, especially these younger generations, we were just talking about. So your timing is, in fact, like the world needs back to what we were talking about. Like the world needs what you offer right now. How do you characterize what has been happening and what is happening now? I, in one of my companies, have been hiring people and like, I'd listen to all these other owners who are just like, I can't hire anybody. It's not possible. And I don't think that's true. I think I just have a different way of going about it. But like, how do you characterize this period? I call it a paradigm shift because I think it's fun to say, but what do you call it? What do you? In what frame of reference are you asking how I characterize this? In terms of education, in terms of what's happening to education and how that's affecting employee employer relationships and like employers finding employees, employees finding employers, employees even caring to be employees when they can go figure it out by working five jobs that they want when they want. Yeah. Well, first, I think, you know, your comments about 
being very much in the time of like this is is something that should happen now because of the problems that we're having uh you know i've been looking at education at least for the last two or three years and so with any buddy that's building something when they come to market and like finally put it out they probably have been thinking about it for a while before the problem was ever aware to everybody else but i think with employers now uh you know you mentioning that they can't find the people that they need with these certain skill sets is we don't have a good direct way of people showcasing what skills that they have being able to talk about that regardless of you know whatever education that they had and so right now employers look at a degree and say okay they got a computer science degree so i guess that they can do this and it came from Stanford, so I guess that means they must be really good at it. It's pretty legit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think if we have a better way to showcase what skills that you have and your ability to do those sorts of things, it will be easier for employers to quickly identify, okay, yes, this is a person that can do what I need done to solve the problems that I have in this business without even having to look at what, it, where did they learn these skills? I think, you know, things that we'll focus on is having a portfolio, having a, what I call it, like a skill resume that breaks down what skills do I actually have? And then what's the evidence that you can say that you have those skills? And that's where the portfolios, the projects, those sorts of things come in. So they, they can start identifying, okay, yes, they've kind of solved this problem before uh, in a different project they did. Maybe they'll be able to solve it here in my business. So I think it's going to shift more that way. It's going to be a slow shift just because of how easy it is now to get in, you know, a hundred resumes when you put up a job listing and then go through and like, yep, they got a degree for this. They're probably good. We'll evaluate them once they get in for the interview or, you know, once they're actually working here. There's this interesting, and I will say interesting component to what you're saying is organizations will see that you have a computer science degree from Stanford to your point about what they're evaluating, they're really evaluating that you could get a computer science degree from Stanford because at the end of the day, your first six months to a year is going to be training, right? It's going to be real world training. It's going to be all of these things. And you're kind of in there with some expectations, but not a whole lot. And as an organization, and this is a shift of talent acquisition, and we've talked to a couple of people on this, with having this portfolio one question that's often asked is, well, give me an example of when you did this. Well, now we actually have examples. So that onboarding, that ramp could drastically reduce. And if I spend just a little more time hiring and selecting based on this type of evaluation criteria, I can find a person who is going to ramp in less time and it's going to cost me so much less money and actually be better for my business in the long term. Super in, insightful paradigm shift from the educational standpoint that you're taking. And I think it's fascinating and I, I want to promote it and support it as much as we can. Thinking about the avenues that you have for potential sources of revenue or income, like the client themselves but then the employer like that's a highly that I think of a lot of places that will pay for that um yeah ability and, and it's something that I, I definitely want to incorporate is this education to job pipeline that you know from the student's perspective we can start guaranteeing you 
you know, a job at the end of this where a regular degree can't because we are training the skills that the employer needs. On the employer side, we are verifying that these students actually have these skills because we've told, you know, work with you along the way. What skills do you need? Okay, what kind of projects and problems show up in those businesses? Now I'm going to have the students actually try and solve problems like that as they learn. And you're going to have direct evidence that they could do that. Where can people find you and find opportunities to learn more about this? Yes. Social media, the best place is LinkedIn, Brandon Stover. And then to find anything else about me, uh, brandonstover.com. Um, you'll be able to find the podcast and the university once uh, it has its full launch uh, up and ready. Those will be the best places. One quick question, if you don't mind. One quick question. Do you have a an estimated time frame of when you'll be in beta or full launch? Yes. I am doing currently um, a landing page test, small MVP to see what the ask for this is for, from the market. And taking that, looking for co-founders, you know, an academic officer and somebody that's possibly built startups before um, to help complement the skill sets that I do not have. And then hoping that with those launching towards the end of this year, a beta program, uh, the full vision of it. And MVP being minimum viable product, right? Yes, Not correct. Most valuable player for those. No. <laughs> what is that? Hopefully, it is the most valuable player. Also <laughs> true. Uh, man, this has been you like your thoughtfulness is. I, I've, I've noticed since since the very first conversation, but you're very thoughtful, and um, this is really exciting. Like I said it a minute ago, it's like very exciting, and um, you're like you're like super calm and like chill about it, but like. It's a, <laughs> It's a big deal. It's super it's, cool. It's really exciting as I build my 529 for my girls and, and realize I might end up sending them to your university and it will save me a lot of money. <laughs> hey, yeah, then yeah, they well, can use it to start their first business. <laughs> That's right. Go buy their first home. Man, just thank you for coming on. Thank you for spending some time with us, sharing um, some, some heavy stuff and some deep stuff. And the last question is uh, always... What does compassion mean to you? I think compassion means it's in one of the Eastern philosophies. They talk about compassion being the ability to suffer with another person and not in the terms of coming down to their level and suffering the same way that they are. Let's take, for example, you know, a man comes to you and he lost his leg. We're not asking you to suffer with him by cutting off your own leg. What we're asking you to do is to understand where he's coming from with that experience of having no leg and to, to be able to sit in that space, have an understanding of the emotions, have an understanding of the, the perspective, and then help him and yourself working together to better his life, to better your own life, to get out of that suffering. I think that's where compassion is, is to have that understanding and then move forward to relieve that suffering.
Thank you for listening to the Evolve Podcast. Links to everything we discussed today are available in the show notes. Transcripts are also available in the show notes. And everything can be viewed on our website at evolvethe.world. That's evolvethe.world. My one ask for you is to share this episode with others. If you know someone who is interested in social impact, social entrepreneurship, or just making a difference in the world, please share this episode with them. The challenges in our world need all of those who can contribute to existing solutions or create entirely new ones. So please share this show with those kind, intelligent people who are just like you. Until next time, my friend, keep evolving.